0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name, for those I don't know, my name is Nick Smith. I'm one of the elders here at White Rock Fellowship. And as Courtney said, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to gather, um, be reminded of truth, worship together, uh, and just be in community. So today we're going to be continuing our series in Philippians. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 12 today. Uh, But Caroline, my wife and I, Caroline, we have three kiddos. Uh, They're 10, currently 10, 11, 14, about to be 10, 12, uh, and 14. And as you all know, uh, whether you have kids or not, you know it's not always easy to get your kids to do what you want them to do. Um, And every parent, right, every parent has their own unique way of raising uh, their kids. But the reality is, in my opinion, every parent has one universal tactic— to get their kids to do what they want them to do. What was it? Bribery. That's right. Bribery. We all do it. We can argue, right, the difference. Well, no, I reward, I don't bribe, or I bribe, whatever. It's, and that's an important discussion. I don't mean to downplay that, but the reality is we all do it. We all bribe our kids at points to get them to do what we want them to do, and so we say, hey, if you study hard, I'll take you to Andy's, right, or hey, if you clean up your room, then I'll play that game with you. A friend here in the church, uh, their kiddo, uh, needed new basketball shoes. And so the dad was like, hey, tell you what, you go out, you play really hard today. I'll buy you a new pair of basketball shoes. Guess what? She goes out, she plays her tail off so she can get those new basketball shoes. We all do it. And why? Because we're trying to motivate them. We're trying to get them to do what we want them to do. And in our better moments, we're doing it for their good. We're doing it to get them to do what is good for them, what is best for them. But then on the flip side, there's also the threat of punishment. The threat of punishment can also motivate. And so we say, hey, if you do that, there's going to be a consequence. If you do that, you're going to be grounded. I coached my son's soccer team, and on Thursday night, uh, we were doing a drill, and they kept messing up the drill. Not like like they kept making a mistake, like they kept being 12-year-old boys and not listening to what we were telling them to do. And so I said, hey, the next person who does the drill wrong, 10 push-ups. The threat of punishment motivates. The promise of reward also motivates. That's how we are wired. Now, if you remember, uh, when Paul writes the book of Philippians, he is in prison. Uh, Paul, throughout his life, at this point, he has been shipwrecked. He has been stoned. He has been beaten uh, with a rod. Now he's in prison, all because of his faith. So why, why would Paul go through all of that? Why would he go through all of that? Because he knew it was worth it. He knew the prize was worth it. He knew that the reward was worth it. In our passage uh, last week, Andy said the goal of Philippians 3, 1 through 11, the goal is, is knowing Christ. He said, knowing Christ makes it all worth it. And so uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul was willing to endure anything for the sake of Christ. He was willing to go through anything to know Christ better. He said, everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And then in our passage this week, Paul is going to motivate us, try and motivate us to do likewise, and similarly pursue the Lord. And so in our passage today, Paul starts out with a plea, a plea that he makes to us. And then he issues a warning, uh, and then he issues a promise. All trying to persuade or motivate us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. First at what Paul is pleading with us to do. And then what Paul is warning us about. And then a promise. So a plea, a warning, a promise. And so first, Paul's plea. Paul's plea. Look again. Uh, if you have your Bible, um, I, I forgot to send slides. So typically we have it up there, but we don't this week. That's all my fault. <laughs> um, so verse 12 through 17 And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so here in verse 12, Paul starts out by saying, not that I have already obtained this. Well, what is that? What is the this that he refers to? What is it that Paul is saying he has not obtained? And to, that, to answer that, we have to look back to verses 8 through 11. And in verses 8 through 11, again, Paul says he wants to know Christ. He wants to know Christ. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. And then verse 11, he says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so here in verse 12, Paul is saying he hasn't yet arrived. He hasn't yet obtained it. He doesn't yet know Christ fully. He hasn't yet obtained glory. He hasn't yet obtained the resurrection from the dead. He has more race to run. He's not yet perfect. He doesn't know Christ perfectly. He still struggles with sin and the glory of the resurrection is still in the future. And then in verse 13, uh, Paul says, I do not consider that I've made on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And then he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he forgets the past, and then he strives toward the goal of knowing Christ. He forgets the part of the race that he's already run. He forgets the the part of the race that he's already run. Why? Because he knows that looking back, it's only going to slow him down. It's only going to weigh him down, to hinder him, when a runner runs a race, they're taught to not look back. Why? Because it slows them down. And if you're running a race around a track, you're taught just look dead ahead and just run straight ahead. To keep your eyes ahead. If you look back, it's just going to slow you down. Now, this idea of looking back, I think it can involve a lot of different things. It can look a little bit different for each of us. But two things I want to highlight this morning. First, I think looking back can involve looking back at our previous sin. And getting weighed down, bogged down by our previous sin. The reality is, some of us today, we are letting shame and regret prevent us from running to Jesus. We are letting our shame and regret cause us to kind of keep Jesus at arm's length, making it difficult for us to accept His grace and His love. And Paul's saying, throw that off. Your sins are forgiven. When you put your faith and trust in me, your sins are forgiven. It is finished. It is accomplished. But then second, I think this idea of looking back can also include looking back at our previous accomplishments and all that we've done. But that also hinders us because it keeps us focused on ourself. And if we're looking back at all that we've done, well, guess what? We're not leaning on Christ. And so whether it's past sins, whether it's past accomplishments, whether it's something else, quit looking back. Paul's saying quit looking back at all that stuff. If you do, it's only going to entangle you. It's only going to drag you down, pull you back, and prevent you from knowing Christ. And so, friends, what are you focused on? We're all focused or distracted by something. What is it? Is it your past sin? Is it your past accomplishments? Is it something else? Whatever it is, Paul's saying, throw that off. Throw it off and just run hard after Jesus. And then in verse 15, uh, Paul applies this to his readers, to us. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. And then verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join, this is his plea, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He's saying, imitate me, press on. Like me, keep running hard after Jesus, keep striving hard after Jesus, no matter what comes your way in this life. He's pleading with them and us to press on, that we may know Christ more and more and more. And so, uh, for those of us who are married, when you get married, uh, you don't just say your vows and then kind of go your separate ways, right? No, when you you get married, you're hoping to spend the rest of your life pursuing one another, getting to know one another. And if you don't, guess what's going to happen? You're just going to slowly drift apart. And eventually, over time, you're just going to drift further and further and further apart, And most likely, eventually, it's going to end in divorce. But if you keep running hard after your spouse, it's going to lead to greater depth, greater joy, greater intimacy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Marriage is not easy. But if you keep pursuing one another, it leads to greater joy and depth and intimacy. In pursuing your spouse, it's not about earning their love. It's not about earning their love. When I take Caroline on dates, I'm not trying to earn her love. Brother, I, I hope, I want to know her better, and I want her to know me better. This also isn't, it's not about trying harder. It's not trying to be a better or perfect Christian. This is about fighting for relationship. For joy. To know Jesus. This is not about earning, trying to earn his love. Uh, I am an Enneagram one uh, Who does not know about the Enneagram in here? (laughs) Consider yourself lucky. (laughs) You're blessed. Um, So I'm an Enneagram one. So for the rest of you who are somewhat familiar with it, that means you probably know that I tend to be a perfectionist, right? I'm always looking for ways I can get better, always improve. That's not what this is about. This is not about being a perfect Christian. This is about taking hold more and more of a person, like with a spouse that you want to know better. And so that is Paul's plea, to keep running hard after Jesus, to seek to know him, to know him better and better, to not settle, to not get comfortable, to not get lazy, but to strive on, to press on, and to keep running the race, to keep our eye on the prize as we do so. And then in verses 18 through 21, uh, Paul gives us a little motivation, Uh, first with a warning and then with a promise. And so the warning, verse 18 and 19, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So in these verses, Paul is describing people whose uh, citizenship is here on earth. Their focus is on earthly things. Their focus is on things of the world. It says their focus, it says their God is their belly, meaning they're focused on the pleasures of this world. Whether that's money or nice dinners or clothes or fun trips or experiences or comfort and ease. And, and some of those things, are, many of those things are, are good blessings from God that I think that are meant to be enjoyed to the glory of God. But the reality is they can't be our driving force. They can't be our focus. And so these folks that Paul is referring to here, they don't know the surpassing value of Christ. They don't see a need for Christ. Rather, their gaze, their focus is on fleeting pleasures. They're pursuing and worshiping stuff, not Christ. And as a result, Paul says their end is destruction. Their end is eternal separation from God. And so Paul is issuing a warning to his readers and to us, saying, hey, don't focus on earthly things. Instead, focus on heavenly things. Look forward to that day when Christ is going to return. Don't put your confidence in the flesh. Don't put the, your confidence in your abilities, but realize your only hope is Christ. Back in Genesis 19, um, Lot and, and his wife, uh, they are instructed to flee a city because God is about to destroy the city. It's, the city is full of sin. It is full of debauchery, and God is about to rain judgment down upon this city. And so God sends uh, some angels to, to rescue them, to save them. And, and the angels tell them to leave, uh, but they linger a little bit, and so the angels eventually they just grab them by the hand and literally just drag them out. But Genesis 19.26 says this, But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I don't think looking back here references just like looking back. I think, I think looking back here represents a form of longing a form of desire, looking back, kind of a lingering desire for what was behind her. The Lord was graciously rescuing her, and yet she kept looking back over her shoulder. And so church, we, we can't look back at the things of the world. We can't look back at our sin. We can't look back at our accomplishments. Those things will not lead to Christ. Rather, if we focus on them, they will lead to destruction. It's Paul saying, hey, if you keep doing that, it's not going to end well. If you keep looking back and pursuing the things of the world, it's going to pull you off course. Instead, leave those things behind, keep your eye on the prize, and pursue the true joy that is found in Jesus. And then Paul, to counter that, issues a promise. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so this is the carrot that Paul dangles out in front of his readers and in front of us. This is the reward. This is his bribe, if you will. And what is the reward? The reward glory. Not destruction, but glory. And I think there's two aspects of this glory. First, Christ is going to come back and we will see him face to face. We will be with God in his presence. Christ himself is the reward. The new heavens and the new earth, yes, it's going to be amazing, but the the main reason it's going to be amazing is because we will be with God. We will be in his presence. We will be with Christ face to face. He is both the goal that we pursue and the prize. But then second, in turn, our reward is that he is making all things new. And that includes transforming these bodies that are slowly breaking down into glorious ones. He's transform, He will transform these bodies that are breaking down into perfect, glorious bodies. And so if you are united to Christ, glory awaits. One day he will return, Christ will return, and we will be in his presence. And in that moment, we will feel perfect love perfect joy, perfect peace. Or if we're not in Christ, we will feel wrath. But if we are in him, the love and the joy and the peace that we all so desperately, we all want it desperately. For those of us who are in Christ, it will finally be ours. Yes, in this life, we get a glimpse, we get a taste. But when he returns... We will get it fully, and all things will be made glorious. All our shame will be gone, our guilt will be gone, death will be no more, tears, suffering, pain, no more. Replaced instead with perfect harmony. Shalom, forever. Church, Paul is reminding us that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is heaven. This life, yes, it is full of, of lots of beauty and lots of joy. I don't want to downplay that. But we all know it's also full of pain and suffering. And we are meant to live life to the fullest. We are meant to make the most of our life here on this earth. But Paul's reminding us that this isn't our home. We're citizens of a new heaven and a new earth. And so C.S. Lewis uh, in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book, which is called The Last Battle, at the very end of the last book of the series, um, he writes this uh, of the kids that have been kind of characters, almost all the kids that have been characters in the, in the series. He says, it says, all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And so this is just the introduction. Every chapter uh, hereafter, is it gets better and better and better. And so don't focus on the things of this world. Rather, focus on Christ. Paul is pleading with us, saying, imitate me. Run hard after Jesus. Why? Because it leads to glory. It leads to joy. Earthly pursuits, they're going to leave you wanting. Ultimately, they're going to lead to destruction and death. Pursuing Christ leads to glory. Uh, I've used this illustration here before, uh, but our youngest daughter, Libby, who is now 10, when she was little, uh, she loved her pacifier. Um, and when she was starting to get to the age <clears throat> where she knew that we were trying to you know, cause her to separate a little bit from her passy, she would hide, all right? She would go behind the couch or, I don't know, wherever in our house and hide so that she could just sit there and, and, and suck her pacifier. Um, and if we asked her for it, she would run the other direction. Uh, whenever we tried to take it from her, she would, you know, cover her mouth so we couldn't get to it. Because she loved her passy, it's normal for kids. She loved her passy, but but Libby loves something else. Cheetos, all right. Somebody after the first ever, they're like, okay, I got an important question: Is it crunchy or puffy? It's definitely crunchy. Um, but so the reality is, whenever we would, if if she was sucking on her passy, and I was eating a bag of Cheetos, and I held out that just one Cheeto for her, you know what she'd do? She'd take that passy, she'd throw that thing down, and she would run as fast as she could to get that Cheeto. She didn't care about her passy. She wasn't thinking about her passy. She didn't even want it. She just wanted the Cheeto. Friends, what are you clinging to? What are you holding on to? We're all clinging to something. Paul's saying, whatever it is, throw it aside. Jesus is better. Life's hard. You will suffer. We will all suffer. Brokenness and pain and death, they're part of this life. but glory is coming. And so one day... Some people who cry can keep talking. I'm not one of them. It's just really ugly when I try to talk while I'm crying. But I'll get there. Promise. One day, depression. going to be joyful dancing. One day cancer will be healed. That sin we all struggle with, we replace with freedom. And so in the meantime, Paul says in verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't be swayed by the snares of the world. Don't be distracted by the concerns and the hardships of life. Don't let good things like careers and kids and hobbies, good things don't let those good things cause you to take your eyes off Christ. Rather, stand firm, pursue him, press on, strive hard for him. This, this life, it's merely an appetizer, a precursor to the day when we will see him face to face. And so as we wait, keep running your race. Keep running your race, press on, strive to know him more, get a stronger and stronger foretaste. And long for the day when he returns. And we experience glory. Let's pray. Father, um, we do pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to make you our greatest desire. Father, I confess my tendency uh, to to seek um, other things, to run after other things, to just get distracted by other things. Lord, we thank you that we have grace, that you have given us grace through your Son. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are quick to rest in your grace, quick to rest in your love, to receive it, and then run hard after you. Run fast, as fast as we can towards you. Lord, we ask it uh, for our good and ultimately for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.